Well, buenos dias, continuamos nuestro ser de identidad conforme estudimos de nuestra propia identidad en Cristo. Wait a minute, wrong country. See what a greeting you all get when you come in there? Well, uh, almost forgot where I was. Our team, uh, and if you speak Spanish, just forgive that, okay? And just... Our team just got back last week from Costa Rica where we had an awesome time being part of what God is accomplishing in his kingdom there. What I should have said was, good morning. We continue our series today called Identity Crisis as we study our true identity in Christ. I actually did do that on purpose because here's my point. It is important to know where you are, but I think we'd all agree that the more pressing question that we ask as human beings is, who am I and what am I here for? And this is why we're in this series on our identity in Christ. First, we now know, as Pastor Jay shared with us last weekend, that every Christ follower is a son or daughter of the Most High God. But next, we must understand that as sons and daughters, we are in the chosen line of centuries of holy, called, ordained priests. You see, in this kingdom, this kingdom of God, we are united in our passion for the supremacy of Christ. And I think, though, this is a bit harder to grasp, isn't it? I asked several people this week what they thought about this idea that they are priests. And needless to say, many thoughts came to mind, and most of them centered around the idea that there are only a certain group of people who fill this role. Priests and pastors and teachers. But as always, as Scripture does, the scripture reveals to us something very different and amazing about who we are. Yes, is it important that there is a specific group of people who are gifted to be pastors and teachers? Yes. But scripture also reveals another level of truth in this area. See, herein lies another piece of our identity as believers. In the passages that we will look at today, we'll discover that we are royal priests. Literally, a kingdom of citizen priests. Now, in some translations, passages that we're going to look at that reveal this truth have been slightly misinterpreted to read kings and priests. But let me remind you, there is only one king in this kingdom. And while we are royal, we fall into the category of royal priests the most accurate understanding is that every Christ follower is a citizen of the kingdom and that every citizen is called to be a royal priest in that kingdom. The best kingdom citizens are the ones who fully embrace and live in their role as priests of the Most High God. So we're going to take some time and I ask that you kind of track with me as we look through the history of God calling his people to be priests. So if you have uh, a worship folder in there, there is an outline of the message today and you can follow along and take notes as you like. In the past, Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests. 
We see this in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, where it says this. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So what we see is God's original intent was to call Israel, not just as a nation, but as individuals, to be a kingdom of priests. But Israel was unable or unwilling to pay the price of priesthood, and we're going to be talking about that in a few minutes. What it means to be a priest and what it costs to be a priest. So God established a more formal priesthood, beginning with Aaron. A specific group of men who would fulfill the role of intercessors and as worshipers and examples for the people. Yet I hope that what you'll see this morning is that God's heart remained focused on all of his people being priests. See, Exodus 19 clearly states that he is calling every person who is a part of Israel to be a priest. You say, wait a minute, wait, we're all to be priests. How can that be? Well, if we look at the Old Testament Hebrew word used in Exodus 19, this idea of kingdom of priests, it is kohenim, which means the drawn near ones. Drawn near ones. And this has some connotations. First, that these are those who are set apart. This is their condition. This is the piece that God does. He puts us in a place where we're more useful to his kingdom purposes. To be set apart. And we're going to talk about this more. This is our condition. We're set apart. This is something God does. Second thing, this idea of being drawn near ones means is that we share in Christ's holy character. And this is the qualification. His holy character. Not education. Not ordination, but character. And as we'll see in a few moments, this character is based in godliness and holiness. See, it doesn't matter where you have a degree from, where you went to school, who laid hands on you and said some special words over you. God reminds us that these are drawn near ones, that his priests are those who strive to have God's character. And it also means that we're brought near into God's presence. This is a function. There is one overshadowing purpose for each of our lives as priests within this kingdom. And that is to usher in the presence of God. So that others are impacted. I think we instinctively know this, that what impacts a life is not our efforts, not our words but the Holy Spirit's presence and work in a life. And some of you may be experiencing this work of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. And there are those thoughts that don't seem to be your own. That odd feeling in the pit of your stomach. That sense in your soul that says, listen. You see, that is God himself, the high priest drawing you into his presence. And that is the role of priests. 
They are to be set apart. They are to share in God's character and they are to bring others into God's presence. Well, what in the world does this mean to you and me? These were just some old guys thousands of years ago. Well, let's look at this. Let's look at the present. In 1 Peter 2, we see that God's original intent for his people goes on. So just as Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests, because of the new covenant, because of Christ's death on the cross, the church is now called to be a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2.5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy what? Priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And down to verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I want us to dig into these two verses for the next few minutes, because in them... I believe we discover our identity and, yes, even our destiny as priests in this kingdom. Beginning of verse 9, you are a chosen race. Well, the chosen race here is not intended to mean racial. This is about a new people. A new people made up of members from all peoples, all colors, all cultures who as Christ's followers, we are told at the end of verse 11, are aliens and strangers in this world. Look at verse 11. I urge you as sojourners, as exiles. As the old song I remember from being a kid in the South said, we are just a passing through. See, Christ's followers here, we are on a journey through this place. We are a new people. And this statement is both corporate as Christ's church and individual as each believer who makes up the church. You know, I was reminded even last night as I finished the sermon here and went home and turned on the news that our culture spends its time trying to divide. And yet, God says, no, we're not going to divide, we are going to live in unity. And you see, that unity is that we are a new people, a chosen race. Christians are not the white or black or Hispanic race. We are the chosen race. We are indeed, if you will, a cross culture. Our identity comes not from color or culture, but from chosenness. And I know that's not a real word. I'm going to make up several others before we're done, so just get used to it. We have been chosen from every race, one at a time, not on the basis of belonging to a certain group, because isn't that what it's about today? What group do you belong to? What people are you a part of? Oh. But because we are loved as individuals by a loving, heavenly Father. When the enemy starts lying to you about who you are, start here. And be able to shout out, I am chosen. 
chosen by God, not out of any other qualification, but because of love. Now, I don't know why it is not earned or merited. See, wouldn't it be easier if it was earned or merited? Then I could have a list, and I could give you a list this morning. Four simple steps to being chosen. I could write a book and make millions and millions of dollars with four steps to being chosen. But that's not how it works. You see, I'm not qualified. I have no more value on my own than any other human being. But we must humble ourselves and bow and accept this choosing. You see, in that choosing, it gives us purpose beyond every other possible purpose. We are chosen. Each morning you can get up and look in the mirror. And as a follower of Christ, if that is you today, you can look at yourself and remind yourself, I am chosen. Second, we see in this passage, the end of verse 10, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's my next made up word. You are mercied. I try. We're a chosen race. You are chosen and you are mercied. The word mercy here in the Greek is a verb. It is active. And the closest English word is pitied or seen as in need. I felt like that was the negative side. So we're going to go with the positive side. We are mercied. God saw our sin and our guilt and our condemnation and he pitied us. And still chose us. We are not just the objects of his choice. We are objects of his mercy. His unmerited favor. Maybe an even better way to put it is this. I am graced. I am loved. You see, here's what takes place. He chose me. And then he drew near in mercy to help me and rescue me and save me. See, herein lies another piece of our identity. That we have been shown mercy not because of our actions, but from being acted upon in his mercy. Not deserving, not the four easy ways to be mercied but because he chose to act and show us mercy. We also see here another part of our identity that we are God's possession. We're God's possession. Verse 9, we are a people for his own possession. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You are chosen by God, you are mercied by God, and the effect of that mercy is that he claims you and holds on to you as his prized possession. Beyond the fact that God owns everything, this is beyond that. In other passages that we could spend the next 30-40 minutes looking at, we discover that the Bible call us, calls us God's inheritance. He plans to spend eternity with you. You see, we are called and mercied in order to dwell with him and to walk with him 
And as we walk with him, he will reveal himself personally to us. We are his prized possession. Can we get that? Chosen and mercied and prized. The fourth part of our identity is a part that I said earlier that we'd, we'd talk about more. And that is that we are holy. Verse 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a what? A holy nation. Look at what you are called in this passage. Holy. Not a part of this world anymore. But set apart for God. You see, you exist for God. And we need to get this. Because this one who has chosen and mercied and possessed us is holy. And so we are to be holy because we share in his character. And when we don't act in a holy way, we're acting out of character, out of our father's character. Because our true identity is holiness to the Lord. That is our true identity. We are called and mercied and possessed and made holy as his possessions. The fifth part of our identity, which is the major part of what we're going to talk about this morning, is that we are royal priests. Look again at verse 9. We are a royal what? Priesthood. Any way to get around this? You are a royal priesthood. This requires certain things. First, it requires a willingness to offer sacrifices of praise and of giving. The rest of verse 9 tells us about this. That, in other words, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen race, a people of his own possession. You could put a so in front of that. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is our sacrifice of praise to proclaim the excellencies of God. Revelation 26, they will pray, be priests of God and of Christ. They will reign with him for a thousand years. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, as we know, the priests of the people in the Old Testament were leaders in worship, and they offered sacrifices and offerings to God on the people's behalf, much like we would expect pastors and priests and teachers to do today, correct? But then in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, God wants to restore all things to their original intent. That each one of us be willing to offer our worship and our resources to God. Priests are to be examples, and so as God's priests, we are to be examples to everyone around us of what it means to be faithful in our worship, fully abandoned in our love for Christ, 
and in our giving, fully trusting God with the resources that he has entrusted to us. You see, this, this explains why we come together each week, is that we gather to be worshipers, worshipers before the Lord. And what are we doing that worship out of? The fact that we are priests. We worship before him. This is why we give each week of our resources, because we are priests. We are giving offerings to the Most High God, to the King, to our High Priest. It also requires a willingness to share his character. This goes back to that idea of holiness that I want to talk just a few more moments about. 1 Peter 1, the passage I referred to earlier says... But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy. Why? For I am holy. You see, we, we don't get holiness by churning it up inside of us. We can be holy because he is holy. Psalm 24. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? That place in Israel where worship would take place. And where the priests would go up this hill to the high point. The people would follow singing the psalms. Who's going to ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? I mean, our Old Testament priests would step into the holy of holies. To give offerings and worship for the people. Now, back then it was you know, a little more dicey than it is today. They'd hook a rope to your leg. Rope to the priest's leg so in case he wasn't right with God and died, they could pull him out without anybody going in. We don't have to kind of do that today. I don't, I don't think I'm tied up here anywhere. <laughs> Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Here's the answer. Not whoever's ordained or whoever has a position, whoever has a title, no, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. A call to this royal priesthood is a call to total commitment and transformation. I mentioned, as we talked about these verses, that we are to be holy as he is holy, striving to have the character of our great high priest. We're to share in his character. We are to be those who are willing to offer sacrifices of praise. A third requirement is a life of intercession for others. 1 Timothy 2, first of all then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who's this speaking to? Us, right? All the priests. I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. See, we are all to be priests who are intercessors for others. Colossians 
Paul says this, Epaphras, and as though Paul understood that a couple thousand years later we would be reading this passage and he wanted to clarify who Epaphras was. doesn't say Epaphras, this guy who went to Jerusalem Seminary and got his degree and he's got 12 papers on his wall and he has this position. No, Epaphras, what's the next phrase? Who is one of you? A servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you. Then he tells what Epaphras does. He is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. In James 5.16, one of the toughest verses in all of Scripture, in my opinion, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now think about these verses and then think about what comes to your mind when I say priest. Those who are interceding, who are struggling on, behalf, on your behalf, who are seeking God for your growth, who are praying for you. And yes, if anybody ever asks you if you should confess your sins to a priest, you can say yes. So go ahead. And then that priest who, to whom you confess can confess theirs back. To who? A priest. Isn't it amazing how God works this? That we can confess our sins to one another as fellow priests in the kingdom. We can pray for one another and what's the outcome? That we're healed. See, we can indeed as priests step into each other's lives and say, go and sin no more. So priests are intercessors and it requires a commitment of a life of intercession for others. And last, it requires a life of sacrificing yourself. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the first two verses I ever memorized. Although I memorized it in another version, so all that is for naught. No, it still works. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, there's a requirement for the life of a priest so that we sacrifice ourselves. A quiet life of prayer and intercession for others. Intense prayer for the deepest needs of others. Hearing the confession of sin from others. And daily sacrificing of self for others. This is really what love works is all about, isn't it? That we give for the sake of others. It would also sound like what we expect from a priest or pastor. We would expect nothing less, right, of our leaders. And yet, it is the call to every 
believer in our place as royal priests. See, if I was writing this passage, I would have said, get over yourself. It is not an easy life as intercessors, as priests in the life of others, sharing in his character, sacrificing our praise each week, and in our, in our daily life, that sacrifice of praise, in giving of our resources, and sacrificing ourselves. What else do we find out about God's our identity in Christ? That God himself gives us this identity. I mentioned this earlier. In this passage, it's clear that it is God who gives us the identity as priests. We are privileged to have this identity. Let's listen to verse 9 again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who what? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The light in which we live is the light of our being chosen and called by God out of darkness. God's sovereign call to every believer begins with a new identity. As sons and daughters and as royal priests in his kingdom. And then the last part of our identity that we see here is that we have a purpose and yes indeed a destiny that we may proclaim. You ever struggle with having a purpose for your life or even for your daily routine? Well, in this calling, I believe, is your answer. That our identity is not defined in terms of who we are in and of ourselves. It is defined by what God does to us and in us and the relationship he creates with us and the destiny to which he appoints us. Here's the challenge. Our identity is radically God-centered not me-centered. Each of us is set apart by God to make the glories of the King known. To bring in the light. To bring it into the dark places. You see, this is the reason God gave us this identity. He appointed us to this place in His kingdom for a purpose and for a destiny. Really what is to be taking place is this. God has given us our identity in order that his identity might be proclaimed through us. God made you who you are so that you could make known who he is. The core of your identity is that the excellency of God be seen in you. This is your purpose. This is your purpose, and it is your destiny. And so for our destiny, let's look to the future. God called Israel 
to be a kingdom of priests. And he called the church to be a kingdom of priests. But one day, his calling will be complete. When he calls his holy nation together as a kingdom of priests. You see, one day we will join as royal priests from every tribe and language and people and nation. And we will worship at the throne of our king, proclaiming throughout eternity the glory of our father. Revelation 1, 5, and 6, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Verse 10, and you... Jesus have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and glory and might forever and ever. And who is crying out these praises? God's royal priesthood. One of our favorite things to do in Costa Rica is what we call bilingual worship. And sometimes that means that we'll be singing in English and then we'll shift to Spanish. And sometimes that means we just do both at the same time. Well, not every individual doing them both at the same time. But that those whose Spanish is their language, they sing, they sing and worship in Spanish while the rest of us are worshiping in English. And I have to believe that somewhere in there is the picture of this one day. Now, I don't know if we're all going to be doing it in different languages. Maybe God will give us all one new one. And we won't even have to learn it on Rosetta Stone. Won't that be great? <laughs> but one day, peoples from all tribes and nations, all the divisions, see our world does this too. We divide ourselves into little bitty nations. All those lines are going to be gone. And we will come together from every tribe and language and people and nation and worship before the throne. This is our destiny, priests of the Most High God. We are his sons and daughters. And as his sons and daughters, we are called into his royal priesthood. See, for those of you who don't know Christ today, this is what it's about. You get to become a son and daughter of the best father ever. And you are called into his royal priesthood to worship before him, to draw others into his presence, to intercede on behalf of the needs of others, to live a holy, called out, mercied life. You see, this isn't about a collar, it's about a calling. This isn't about a position, it is about a passion. And today, God calls us, new life, to step into the reality of who we are. That we are priests in a glorious kingdom. 
Let's live in this reality. Let's go from this place and step outside these walls today and be priests of the greatest kingdom ever known. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for our calling. We are grateful for the mercy that you have shown us so that we can live out and fulfill this calling. May today we truly understand what it means to be the drawn near ones, the priests of your kingdom. In the quiet of this moment, I'd ask that you stand. And as priests, I want us to stand and lift our hands out to the Lord as we confess together. Father, we confess our own inadequacy as your royal priests. It is so easy for us to set this calling aside because its requirements challenge us to live differently than others. To live in holiness and to be set apart for your purpose. Today may we live in the truth of who we are because of you. You have called us. You have shown us mercy. You have made us your prized possession. It is you that makes us holy. You have given us a glorious identity and we await our ultimate destiny. May we live as royal priests, ministering to your church, setting an example for others, giving sacrificially to your cause, praying for one another, forgiving one another, bringing your light to a dark world. And so we come before you once again to worship with abandon, to pray with intensity, to serve you with passion, to live fully in our true identity. We come before you as your royal priesthood. As we worship together, I'd ask us to do a couple things. God has called us as priests to be intercessors. Take a moment and in your mind, who is it you're interceding for? Who desperately needs to know Jesus? Who are the Christians in your life who don't fully understand who they are in Christ? Who aren't living in the freedom that it means to be a son and daughter of, Christ, of God? I'd ask that we intercede here at these altars as priests do before the altar of the Lord, interceding for others. So as we're singing, we're going to take some time. We've got lots of time. I'd also ask that you worship and abandon, maybe in a way you never have before. Listen to the voice of God in giving you freedom in your worship. Our prayer partners are going to be here at the front. These are people who are ministering within their giftings, in their priesthood as intercessors. And if you have a need today, a concern, maybe it's been brought up today in this message, 
Maybe there's another need. Maybe you need healing today. Let these intercessors minister to you. Let's worship before the Lord. Let's intercede for those who desperately need him. Let's worship together.